Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. So who gains and loses 75 pounds on purpose... Well, our next guest, Drew Manning, does. He is fit to fat to fit. And that is his website.com. And he's also the author of a new book coming out tomorrow called Complete Keto. We're going to talk to him about his journey. He's one of the most inspiring people in our space right now, uh, helping everyone between podcasts and blogs and programs available to really really get your best body ever. I know that Drew's goal is to inspire people to get fit, teach them how to do it, and give them the hope that it's possible. Uh, and even though it can be a struggle for some, you know, he knows how to make it make it stick. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's my pleasure being here, though. Thank you for that awesome intro. <laughs> so you've, I mean, you, you, such a great website, such great social media, putting out so much great content. Um, before we talk about your new book, uh, Launching Tomorrow, Complete Keto, which is really what I'd like to make the focus of this, but let's go back and talk about what was going on when you're like, I'm going to gain 75 pounds, and then like, why? What What was what happened? Yeah, this was at a crazy time back in 2011. So I became a trainer in 2009. And here's the thing. I grew up playing football and wrestling. So I never once struggled with my weight. I was very active and grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters. And we all played sports, right? So here I am, a trainer, someone who's never been overweight, trying to help people who were mostly overweight their whole life. And there was a disconnect between them and me. And I could tell it immediately. So I, they would tell me, you know, Drew, you don't understand what it's like to, you know, to be fat. And I'm like, you know what, you're right. I don't understand because it seems so easy to me. All you do is eat healthy food and you exercise what's wrong. Like, why is it so hard for you just to follow the meal plans and the workouts that I give you? Um, so what if for whatever reason, this idea popped up in my head, like, Hey, what if you got fat on purpose to better understand your clients? And that way you can kind of understand where they're coming from. And I know it sounds ridiculous and crazy, uh, but it felt like, um, a calling for me. Like I felt like super excited about this. I'm like, I think I'm actually going to do this. So I, you know, uh, you know, checked with all my friends and family and said, Hey, what do you guys think about this? And I was like, yeah, you should totally do it. So I kind of just did it on a whim, not knowing what it would become today. Um, I documented my journey. So for six months I stopped exercising. I ate a a standard American diet, highly processed food that was tasty, right? I, I will admit that. The food tasted good. I mean, <laughs> What was your favorite crab during that time? What did you really go to town Cinnamon on? Toast Crunch, I could eat like two or three times a day and not get sick of. Uh, Mountain Dew uh, was my drink of choice. And then there's these things at gas stations called Zingers, which are like Twinkies, but with uh, you know, red coconut outside. And there was, they, they did taste good. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> the thing is for six months, I put on 75 pounds of pure fat. I stopped exercising and this was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It was one of the most humbling things because here I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a physical journey. I'm going to get fat, then I'll get back to fit, and you know, we'll see what happens. But I was so – like my eyes were open so much to just how hard it was on the mental and emotional side. Physically, I knew I was going to get fat, but not the lessons I was going to learn on the mental and emotional side. That's why it was so hard for me, and that's why I was so humbled, and that's where the greatest lessons were learned for me. I am so glad that you did this because so, you know, it is frustrating because a lot of people don't know what it's like. I know what it's like because I had hypothyroidism got super bad. Um, 
it's tough. It's tough to really understand it unless you're in it. Uh, aside yeah. from, I want to hear about, you know, the emotional, the mental, like the, some of the changes in your body you've noticed. But what I'd like to ask you is, did you see yourself going towards sugar and carb addiction? Because that's a nightmare. And if you experience that, then you know everything. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. I wouldn't go as far as to say like I was addicted. I think addiction is a really strong word. But sure. I, for me, I could see the vicious cycle that it creates. So I would wake up, have a big, huge bowl of breakfast and a big, tall glass of orange juice, which is what we were taught to eat in the 1980s and 70s of like, hey, this is what American breakfast looks like is cereal and juice and toast for breakfast, right? Um, And so – but then a couple hours later, I'd be absolutely starving and I would eat like a huge bowl of cinnamon toast crunch or you know whatever it was and – I would be so famished. I would like, you know, be shaking and um, like, like again, I was hangry, right? I needed food right away. So I'd reach for, you know, a granola bar and chips and a soda. And then, you know, for lunch, I would have like a peanut butter sandwiches on white bread and then another snack in between lunch and dinner. And then dinner was like white pasta and marinara sauce. Um, and, and then at nighttime, you know, binge watching TV, you know, you have to have something sweet like cookies or ice cream. Um, but repeating that over and over again was this vicious cycle of I felt so miserable after eating it, but during it, I felt like I needed it, right? So I could see that um, addiction cycle kind of create, uh, be created. And then when I try to get off of it, this is the surprising part, was that when I tried to get off of it after six months of eating this way, I went through hell for the first two weeks of eating healthy food where the food tasted awful. I felt awful. I was moody. I was grumpy. I had headaches. And that's where I realized this is what my clients have been telling me is, and it was so hard for them to follow a meal plan. I would give them a meal plan, expect them to be perfect with it. And, and I didn't understand why they struggled with just willpowering their way through it until I stopped eating this food after eating it for six months straight. I'm so glad you said that. It was so, I had a rough two weeks transitioning from being a carbohydrate dependent sugar addict, you know, uh, to primal paleo way of living. I had a tough two weeks and I didn't know the hacks that I even know now. It was like kind of new to it. And I remember being like, uh, going to Mark Sisson and being like, what do, what, am I, what do I do? I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, and he was like, well, what, what are you, what are you like snacking on? I'm like nuts. He's like, oh, well, that's your first problem. <laughs> you know? And so then I, I started to like learn more, but I suffered. And I know people that it only took them three days. They're like, oh, I was, I had no problem. I had a tough time. There were the headaches. It's your brain is like starting for the, sh- the crack that is sugar, right? And, and you think you need it. And, and then you're going, is this healthy? I, I don't feel great in my brain right now. So it's, it's just this like, hump you got to get over, but it is tough. I'm so glad that you experienced that in order to empathize. Yeah. Empathy is the key word here. That's the, what the biggest thing I took away was empathy. And that's what I feel like we need more of, not just in, in the world, the world we need more empathy, but in the fitness industry too, we need more empathy because we, we think it's just so easy if you've never struggled. We're like, what's wrong with you? Just stop eating it. Like you wouldn't go up to a drug addict and say, stop doing drugs. What's wrong with you? It's not that hard. (laughs) It's the same thing with food addiction. I see after living it for six months, that's what I realized is like some people, that emotional attachment to food is way more powerful than we think. And it's just not as simple as, hey, just eat less and work out. I'm so glad you said that because um, one of the benefits of me getting um, riddled with hypothyroidism and struggling with that and gaining all this weight um, was I was a little bit one of those judgmental people. And I talk about it in the book where, you know, because I had been on the wrong paradigm where it was like struggle, suffer, right? Like, you know, hold back the calories. And like, and I had the, it, it looked like I was the pillar of health, but, you know, dying inside, right? And 
it's funny because I would walk by people that were overweight or sitting at a buffet and I would, I would say those, I would think those things like, Oh my God, get it together. Because see, I was powering through it. You know what I mean? Even though I I was still struggling in the brain and I clearly was like an addict or binging and issues with, with like, Oh my gosh, not on the right paradigm. And I am so glad that I got kicked to the curb because Mm -hmm. now when I see and after that, it really humbled me and it brought a level of empathy. And it also now, like when I, there's no judgment. In fact, if I see anyone either riddled with acne or overweight or anything, all I think is what you just said, which is they're just like got an addiction and they don't even know it yeah. or, 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 or it's not their fault. They, they got their unbeknownst them because you go down this train and then it's like your body is craving it. You don't even have a control over what your gut and your mind is wanting you to eat. And that, that's just such a bad roller coaster. So now I have such compassion and empathy. If anything, I just go, Oh, I hope they figure it out. Like that's my thought. There's no judgment. And so I think the more of us, not like all of us, uh, the people that have never been fat should do your experiment, but (laughs) there's something to that. And I'm really glad you did. And I'm sure it helps you relate to people now more so, and you really understand it so that you can help them. And people can better relate to me as well, because I think that's the problem with the fitness industry is you see, like I was just another trainer. Yeah, because you're ripped. And if you look up Drew, if anyone listening right now looks him up, he's like hot and ripped and like everybody like, whatever, (laughs) you know, he he knows he's never had a problem. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's very unrelatable for like 90% of Americans, right? But having done this and people see what I went through and saw how humbled I was, it made me more relatable to them and I could better relate to their struggles having this empathy and compassion. Uh, and, but that's how life is. Once we have experiences that are hard, that make us struggle, our eyes are open and we see things from a totally different perspective. And that's kind of what I've done from the fit to fat to fit days. Uh, and, you know, I wrote the book, Fit to Fat Fit, which was very successful on the, the journey, uh, you know, went viral. Um, and, and I learned a lot of valuable lessons from it. But in this industry, it's the relatability factor that is so important um, to be to be able to relate to your clients, and clients being able to relate to you, and this is a quote that I love that I live by now. After having done this, is nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care, and that's so true for a lot of people. They see these scientists, these doctors, these people that have all this knowledge. It's cool to have all that knowledge, but if you can't relate to your clients or your followers, they're not going to be willing to listen to you unless they know that you're you have some type of empathy or compassion. Uh, for them first and foremost. And so that's really important if you are in, in this industry or you're a coach or uh, an influencer of some type to live by that. And I'm not saying you have to do what I did, but at least uh, you know try and, and develop that empathy and there's different ways to do that. Yeah. And that level also uh, extended to doctors. You know, uh, As you know, in my book, I dealt with so many uninformed doctors. You can have all the knowledge. You can go to Harvard Medical School, but if you don't care and you're not looking your patient in the eye and asking them, what their symptoms are, how they're feeling, and you don't really care, uh, you just get left in the dust. So it's such a key thing in health and fitness. Um, tell us, so you were already fit, you, you know, your personal training, then you, you, you know, you did the fat experiment before that. Were you, you, I can't imagine you were like always in a paleo low carb paradigm and we'll get to keto in a minute. So were you used to be on the old kind of bodybuilding training kind of paradigm? Like, tell us like, where your switch and how you grew there? Yeah, that's a great question. I really wish I had the knowledge I had I have now. <laughs> Back then, as an athlete playing football and wrestling, uh, um, I did not know anything about nutrition. Neither did my parents. They were trying to feed eleven kids, so um, we didn't eat up. We didn't grow up eating. Wow. 
you know, super healthy food. It was like, okay, how do you feed 11 kids? Okay, a lot of casseroles and lentil soups and peanut butter sandwiches, right? Um, so I wouldn't say it was unhealthy, but it was all, you know, mostly homemade food, uh, but definitely not a paleo approach or, or a whole food approach by any means. Um, and then I evolved into, once I became certified as a trainer, I started understanding the basics of nutrition. And then from there, understanding what macronutrients were and then trying to balance those. And then from there, uh, back in these days when I did fit to fit and I lost the weight, it was more of a whole food approach. Um, it was, I call it paleo ish, uh, except for, you know, whey protein, which was, you know, that's uh, my mentality back then was still very high protein, um, you know, uh, moderate amount of fat and, and kind of low carb. But the only carbs I did get were from the occasional, um, you know, bread or uh, fruit here and there. Um, and, and mostly vegetables, right? So it wasn't a very carb heavy diet back then, but it was, it was paleo ish is what I say. And then, then that's where I transitioned into keto about three or four years ago. Why did you make, yeah. Why did you make that decision? Uh, To go into keto? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was listening to a, a really cool podcast with Dr. Dominic D'Agostino. He was on. Yes, he was just on a couple of weeks ago. He's so incredible. He's incredible. And so I heard about, you know, I've been listening to Tim Ferriss for a while, and I heard about this doctor who fasted for 10 days. And, and then after 10 days of fasting, he deadlifted, you know, 500 pounds for, for reps. And I'm like, how is that humanly possible? So I listened to the episode, <laughs> learned about the science behind the ketogenic diet, and I had no idea there was this much scientific research that had been done on keto for therapeutic applications. And so here I was, uh, a self-experimenter, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this keto thing a try. I kind of knew what it was. It wasn't mainstream yet, but I understood you know, how it worked a little bit. So I decided to do it. So I experimented with it. The thing that sold me on keto for me was the improvement in mental clarity. Um, it was like night and day compared to before. Uh, the improvement in mental clarity and cognitive function um, – was astounding to me. And that's what I fell in love with. I didn't lose weight or lose body fat. I was already lean to begin with. And my performance in the gym was about the same. It was more so nutrition for my brain. And I could go from eating six meals a day, bringing tough work containers with me with my meals like planned out for the day, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a classic a like trainer <laughs> paradigm. <laughs> exactly, right? The gallon, gallon jug of water, um, things like that. Uh, to eating you know, one or two meals a day and feeling optimal. My brain is optimal. My digestion is better because I'm giving it a break for the first time in my life. Um, and the mental clarity was through the roof. And that's when I kind of got sold on keto. But now fast forward, you know, three or four years, the way I do keto now is different than the way I do keto when I first started, right? It's, it's evolved. Um, and then during this time, shortly afterwards, I met Dr. Dom and, and uh, through him actually got connected to go on the Dr. Oz show talking about the ketogenic diet. And so um, once I was on Dr. Oz, then things kind of started to explode as far as the popularity of keto. Um, uh, and so, you know, here we are today, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I've helped, you know, tens of thousands of people uh, on the ketogenic diet. Tell us what the nuances were from doing keto differently now versus when you started. Yeah. And I think this is how it, it should be for anyone out there listening what works for you today might not work for you tomorrow. And so you have to be open to new things. So I was doing keto and it felt great initially. Um, but I noticed after a while, um, my testosterone started to drop and I just became more fatigued. And so the way I do keto now is, um, and I talk about this in my new book, but I talk about, uh, finding out what my carb threshold is, was, um, 
because here's what I did is um, my carbs, I kept really, really low, right? 20 or 30 grams. And once I learned, you know, what my carb threshold was, I could up my carbs to around 60 or 70 grams a day and still stay in ketosis. And I felt so much better. My hormones, my blood panel was looked so much better um, at that higher level of carbohydrates. Um, and then I even upped my protein as well. So my protein threshold, I was hovering around 80 to 100 grams of protein, which isn't um, super low. It's not a lot for a big dude like you. No, it's not a lot for a big dude like me. I was eating 200 grams plus before because I thought more protein <laughs> equals more muscle. Um, but at the same time, I felt like with the training that I was doing and the physique that I was trying to maintain, I needed a little bit more. But in order to do that, you have to find out what your carb threshold is and your protein threshold is. Um, and then from there, you can kind of tweak things to customize keto for you. So like what I instruct someone that's sedentary, that's, that doesn't work out to eat how I eat, Keto? No. I'm probably not. So that's why it's so uh, important to understand that there's a, you have to customize it, but you have to do some testing and and find out what works best for you. And that's why it's, it's not a one size fits all approach. Do you tell us in Complete Keto, your new book launching tomorrow? Do you tell us how to find our carb and protein threshold? Exactly how to do it, step by step. Exactly what to do. Um, but the thing, the key is to get keto adapted first. Right, so the keto adaptation phase is really, really important, right? Because the problem that, that people see is they'll see someone like me cycling carbohydrates at certain times, or they'll see me eat potatoes and they're like, wait a second, I thought we're not supposed to have potatoes or sweet potatoes on keto. We'll die if we eat that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're a new, you're a rookie. You, you can't eat the potatoes. I'm, I've been in this a long time. I can, I can spare it. Yeah. Exactly, and so it's. Um, uh, I, a very detailed description of exactly how to do it once the keto adaptation phase is over. And then from there, you can kind of, uh, and you have to continually kind of tweak it as you go, right? A year from now, I don't know exactly what my diet's going to look like. I'm kind of go off of how I feel, how my blood work looks, and how I, I look on the outside as well. Why, um, what do you think, or, or, or did you assess, I mean, I guess it's hard to pinpoint this, what, but the drop in testosterone, yeah. what, what, what was that about? That's a great question. I mean, that's the thing is I, w I, I don't think any one person would know exactly what it was caused by. It could have been the very, very low carbohydrates for a long period of time with the type of training I was doing, which was more of a CrossFit style training. Uh, oh, I right. So that, you were doing like more intensity for maybe that carb level for your size. Yeah. I, that's what I would have gathered maybe. Yeah. Very glycolytic workouts. I remember talking to Ben Greenfield about this, who he kind of had a similar effect when he did keto for a long, continuous period of time. You know, he was doing very glycolytic type of workouts as well. And his testosterone dropped too. Um, but that's and to, hi and to highlight that, I want to jump in and say Brad Kearns, who's 54, you know, uh, uh, co-author of the Keto Reset with Mark. He also had a situation where he, he loves uh, speed golf so much. And so when he was doing the keto book and going keto, he did, he had poor recovery and then like the testosterone dropped and he's like, what's going on? And I was like, dude, I don't think you're eating enough for what you're doing. You're doing speed. And he, it, it just, to him, it was so much fun, right? Speed golf was fun. He wasn't even yeah. thinking about it being like, <laughs> like lytic. <laughs> and so when he switched that up and he's, he made sure he really like tracked, you know, and was like, okay, and added more carbs, it, the testosterone went right back up to high school levels. Yep. And at that time he was like 51. So it's, it's very possible everyone out there and men and women too. I mean, we need testosterone as well. So we want to preserve that. Um, and it's, uh, optimal output. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And that's why it's so important to kind of go off of how you feel because some people think, oh, if I do this one thing, this diet over here, it's going to fix all my problems. All my hormones will be balanced. Well, sometimes some people that can happen, but 
you know, that's why you got to, you know, kind of monitor and be self-aware of what's going on to be able to adjust and, and tweak that. And if you need to stop doing keto and, and, and reintroduce carbs, then definitely be open to that. I definitely do that now where I'm not in a state of ketosis 100% of the time. And, uh, you know, that's for a specific reason, but, um, it's just, uh, important to be, have that self-awareness too. So incomplete keto, yes. what's complete about it? What are we going to get from this book? That's a great question. So here's the thing with complete keto. I take all the lessons I've learned from fit to fat to fit on the mental and emotional side of transformation, because in my opinion, a complete transformation isn't just a physical transformation. People think if I get skinny, if I have a six pack, I'll be happy. When in reality, we all know that that does not bring happiness. I know a lot of people that have six-pack abs that are skinny, that look good, but they're miserable on the inside. And so some people overlook the mental and emotional and spiritual side of transformation. And so what I want to do with Complete Keto is take all the lessons I've learned from fit to fat to fit on the mental and emotional side of transformation, plus the personal development stuff that I've went through personally – and this is getting into my personal life, which I speak openly about in my podcast, uh, going through a divorce and what I've learned uh, post-divorce and applying those personal development uh, tools to help me, uh, on, like I said, on the mental, emotional, spiritual side for a complete transformation through a ketogenic approach. So yes, you're going to learn about keto, keto 101, the science behind it, the latest research, um, plus a 30-day uh, program that's brand new. Um, but more importantly – you'll learn how to um, help you on a complete transformation on the mental, emotional, and spiritual side. Tell us a little bit about that. What are some of the things or something that you really, you know, learned after your divorce, something that it was, you know, important for you to move forward? Yeah, 100%. Um, and I'll, I'll definitely get into to all that. And here's the thing is um, I just want to uh, just kind of throw it out there that, um, when it comes to physical transformation, you know, I could give people a great program to follow, a great workout to follow, all the physical tools they need. But unless they know how to overcome their own mental and emotional challenges, then unfortunately it's just going to be another diet after diet after diet that they keep you know, cycling back and forth, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, until they understand how to make this a lifestyle change uh, with help on the mental and emotional side. So things that have helped me that I've implemented into the book, into the program, along with the physical stuff of the meal plans, the recipes and the workouts is, uh, practicing things on a daily basis, like meditation, positive affirmations, a gratitude list, overcoming guilt and shame and emotional issues that we've probably held on to since we were kids. Um, and that's kind of what, uh, my journey was about, uh, going through this, this divorce was, uh, healing myself uh, from these past issues that I, as a man in our society, kind of held on to because I thought that was the strong thing to do. Like, hey, don't talk about your feelings. Hold on to these and, um, you know, pretend like everything's okay on the outside. And I did that for years until it broke me and had to learn the hard way. Can you share with us uh, if if this is applicable to you? Um, what, if any, shame you carried? Yes, um, 100%. I um, grew up in a very strict religion, and my perception was that I had to be perfect in order to uh, be accepted. Um, but here I was, an imperfect boy, teenager, um, with uh, weaknesses that I had no way to communicate because I felt like if I confessed my sins, there was a punishment through the religion that I, that I um, grew up in. And so I was so scared to admit that I had weaknesses. So my, based off my experiences of that was, okay, I don't want to tell my parents. I don't want 
anyone to find out that I have these weaknesses. And so I hid all those things that brought me shame and guilt. And so just to be very specific, you know, por- pornography was taught to me as something evil and very bad. But then I grew up in the 90s with friends, you know, being exposed to it, obviously. But I didn't know how to deal with it internally um, because I, w- I knew it was bad. I knew it was evil. And so I was partaking in it. Therefore, I was bad. I was evil. I didn't know, didn't know how to separate the, the guilty feelings and the shameful feelings of I'm doing something bad. Therefore, I am bad. And as a kid with no outlet of, of knowing the difference between those two things, I looked at myself as a failure my whole life because of that, and I was very hard on myself, and, but I pretended to be perfect on the outside, and so that's why you know, when I was married for 10 years, I pretended like I didn't have those problems because you know, only, a, only a, a disgusting person would, would, do, would look at that. Uh, at least that was my perception back then, and um, uh, so it caused a lot of problems. Um, I ended up having an affair. And that uh, obviously broke the trust of the marriage, and we never really recovered from that um, uh, with our with her trust for me. And um, so we, uh, once I went to a life coach and um, started working on this personal development stuff, you know, reading books by Brene Brown, and my eyes were open to seeing myself from a different perspective and owning my story and embracing vulnerability as a strength. I could let go of the past and not define myself by the past. And, um, when we did divorce, eventually, uh, we were both in a good place emotionally to, um, still be friends now. And, um, you know, we're both in a good place with what happened in the past. And so that's why I'm, I'm open to talking about this on a podcast like this, because, uh, I've put in the work to, uh, overcome that shame and that guilt. I want to jump off of a bridge right now because I'm so impressed with you being so transparent and honest about that. Um, I actually have a talk that I call the shame of disability and the disability of shame. Mm. Um, because, uh, and I've talked about it a couple times on this podcast, um, but, but not enough, or if you haven't heard it and you're listening, um, I was, uh, I had my hands disabled at the age of 23. Now you've met me in person. You would never know. You never know. I look like a totally normal person. I could do something. I can even play game of ping pong with you, <laughs> but I have a hidden thing you can't see. And when you have something you can't see, you can hide it, mm-hmm. but see the problem in hiding it. And so what happened with me in romantic relationships is I was so afraid of someone rejecting me for this, like that I was less than, or that maybe I couldn't do all the things. Maybe a wife would be able to, you know, all of these things I wouldn't tell people. So I would share with my friends and everyone knew this intimate part of me, this, this one thing. And you know, people would be like, I don't even understand what you're ashamed about. I mean, people might, hear you talk about porn and go, okay, I get it. It doesn't matter what it's about. It doesn't matter if it even makes sense to others. No one understood. They're like, you got injured. What are you ashamed about? I was so ashamed of, of this situation for like literally 20 years. Like it took me so long to talk about it. And the moment I did, oh my God. And I'm sure as with you, probably every time you talk about it, gifts come rolling in, more people show up that are like, oh my gosh, I had that experience. I had like five people with hand injuries come out of the woodworks, you know, and suddenly I'm less alone. Suddenly the shame is dissipated. Suddenly I'm looking back and I go, I can't. And what it prevented me from, and probably you too, is I think the biggest thing shame in any situation does is prevent you from connecting truly with another person because they're not seeing you for who you are and you're afraid you might get rejected. And so even if they do like you or there's some connection there, you still know they don't know that thing about you, right? You know, it's that, it's that weird thing you have in the back of your head. Like, well, they don't know that about me. So I don't really trust this relationship because see, they don't know all of me yet. 
right? You know, and so it just, it prevented me from getting closer to some people because I just didn't want to get into this conversation. Um, and, and I can only say, and I'm sure you feel the same way. It is like, I just want to impart on everybody. I don't care if you have to work with a therapist, a coach, go to a 12-step a group or, or talk to friends. You got to get through whatever you're ashamed about. I don't care if it's a mangled left toe you're embarrassed about or a hand disability or a porn. It doesn't matter. So I love that this is incorporated in your book and that you're being so honest and open about this. You're such a, you know, big, strong looking man. You know, it's like, right? Like, yeah, just keep it together. And we're, this is human. This is us, right? Yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to share that on your podcast. I'm, I'm assuming most people didn't know I was going to talk about this, or you probably didn't know I was going to talk about this, but it's a part of my story, and that's the thing that you were kind of saying, is I was living so inauthentically for so long um, that it, it eventually broke me. And now that I'm at this place where I can own my story and um, and live an authentic life, I'm finally the real me, and I'm not ashamed of anything about my past anymore because all of that led me down the path of where I am today. And I'm super grateful for it. And um, had none of that happened, I would still be pretending to be someone I wasn't. And I don't think that's a way to live this life, um, at least for me. And so my hope in sharing it is to help other people. So many people after I came out with this publicly were like, man, thank you so much because you know, that gave me courage to, to do the same thing. And it's scary. It's scary to be in that. It is. Oh, I cried so much. I had so much anxiety over even just like telling a guy I was dating about my disability. Like it was just, I almost want to cry now because just for myself, for my old self of being in that shame and having like five conversations with family members then being like, no, one's going to reject. It's okay. Just, you have to just be on, you know, and it was just so tough. And then once I finally got over that hump, I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe that I spent all those, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, all right, you're, you're a jerk. Um, yeah. but it's, it really does, um, enrich your life and it will expand it and it will make it so much better. And I, I, I agree with you. I'm like totally shameless about it now. I'll talk about it anytime, anywhere. And I'm sure you, yeah, obviously you will too. What, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, it's a really great topic. And I also want to just throw out to the audience. I interviewed Lisa Nichols from the secret and she reveals a hidden shame that she'd never talked about before on the show as well. Um, it, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be like the most famous, you know, uh, motivational speaker and have an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be like me and be totally confident and vulnerable in other areas, but oop, not this one, <laughs> this yep. one area over here, it's hiding. And it's just, it's going to infiltrate other areas of your life. Yeah, it's so true. And that's the thing. The power of the stories that we tell ourselves is so debilitating for so many people because it's so much worse in our head than it actually is in real life. Right. Well, we thank you for saying that because that was my experience. Once I finally started to just tell people yeah. no one cared. No one, like literally all the time, my family would be like, nobody is going to judge, like nobody, trust me, no one cares. And, and they were right, actually. Yeah. They were right. But that's the, that's the thing. So how does all this tie back into, you know, keto in the book is all these lessons that I've learned, I see parallels between the mental, emotional, spiritual, and this physical transformation that people are searching for. And so many times in life, people will focus on one of those pillars instead of all of them. And they think that that one pillar is going to bring all the happiness. If I focus just on becoming rich, you will realize that that is not what's going to bring you happiness. If you just focus one on one pillar of I want to have the physique of a, a Greek god, that's cool. 
but I promise you that's not going to last forever and you're not going to have that fulfillment that you're seeking. And so that's why it needs to be a complete transformation. So people need help on the mental, emotional, spiritual side while they're working on the physical transformation. And I think keto is one of those ways to do it. Is it for everybody? Absolutely not. I'm not a huge like zealot and saying this is the only way to eat. Uh, otherwise, you're, you're less than. Uh, people turn it into a religion, unfortunately, sometimes with every way of eating, which is so weird. But um, you know, it, it's all about complete transformation and, and focusing on all of it. So if I could create a program with all of it in one, that's what complete keto is. You know what? I, I'm going to just say right now, there's a lot of great keto books out there, including, you know, Mark's and, and, you know, Rob, well, everyone's got great information, but no one's done this. I'm so glad that you have put the emotional mental side of it into it because, you know, Mark a long time ago talked about how at some point in their past, they had an assistant who had weight issues Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until she actually dealt with, I guess, being sexually molested as a child, right? Mm -hmm. Again, a shame, some trauma. And it was in, it wasn't until she dealt with that, that she literally started to release the weight, you know, she was finally able to, so you're so right about this being in there. It's just in there. You cannot just isolate and go to the gym and, you know, do do the push-ups and not expect that this thing lingering over here yeah. isn't going to come into play. Yeah, 100%. That's why we have to we have to put in the effort to dig deep. And people want it to be easy. I get it. We want it to be easy. We want the magic pill, the quickest way to lose the most amount of weight in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of effort. Yes, I get we all want that, but we all know it's going to require a total mindset shift. And that's what I'm trying to wake people up to. And if I could give them tools and hacks, kind of like what we do on the physical side, but tools and hacks on the mental, emotional, spiritual side to to, to make it more convenient, um, then I feel like that's a step in the right direction for our society. Because most people out there that are struggling with their weight isn't because of lack of knowledge of eating less and working out. Like the, Everybody knows, yeah, I know I need to eat healthy. I know I need to work out. That's not what people struggle with. It's these emotional issues that people are holding on to for so long. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do with Complete Keto and just Fit to Fat to Fit in general is bring some empathy to this industry and help people feel understood and and help them feel like they're worth it to try. you know. But it doesn't have to be, hey, get skinny or have six-pack abs in order to be accepted. I know that society can judge you that way, but just realize that your version of healthy is going to look different than my version of healthy, and that's okay. Yeah. And you know, it even is, um, like for example, I'll, I'll share something that, you know, I'm sure people, if they're listening and have had this happen, it's, it's kind of a common thing, but it wasn't until someone voiced it to me about their experience. They used to be a fat kid and, you know, they were always sort of like rewarded with food and they talked about how they would like, if they had a Saturday night free, they would be like, Ooh, and like, go get a bunch of food. Like I'm gonna have a party with myself, like with the food. And I used to do that too. There's something there. Like I wouldn't do that now because that would hurt me. Right. I'm doing something negative for me, even though it seems positive. There's this reward factor there. And, you know, I'm sure part of it was I was literally just like my gut and everything was off, probably craving these things at one point. And now I don't even think about that. But just that idea, right? The planning to like go binge or the plan, you know, and and it doesn't even have to be attached to some traumatic event, but there's something there to look at. Like, what are you doing yes. and why are you doing that? And so, you know, I, when, when that person I was interviewing said that, I, I just was like, oh my gosh, that was me. I've planned so many food parties for myself over the years. Right. I mean, so, um, so, so also too, you have recipes, it's complete keto. So we're going to get everything we need to start and finish on this. 100%. Complete keto is all about complete transformation through a ketogenic approach. That's what it is in that show.
what would you like to, what are some tips or hacks or things you'd like to throw out there in the world where everyone's like, oh, keto, okay, I need to lose weight. I'm going to jump on that. And, and honestly, I can't even tell you how many times people have been like, oh, paleo is great. So I just basically eat meat. I'm like, you know what? No, please read a book. Please listen yeah. to a podcast. So so for, for that, what are some things you'd like to throw out, whether they're warnings or whether they're nuances or tips? Yeah, it's more so like, you know, uh, I would say almost my, my top three mistakes that people make when about the ketogenic diet oh, is they great. don't do three. They don't do the research first. They just think it's better bacon and cheese all day long, thinking oh, I can eat as much of this as I want and I'll lose the weight. When in reality, that's not that's not how keto works. And so um, it's not unlimited amounts of fat and unlimited amounts of meat. Uh, it's not just a rebranded Atkins diet. It's a totally different metabolic state you're entering into, burning fat as fuel. The other mistake I see people make is um, not getting in their electrolytes. Um, sodium, potassium, magnesium are essential because what happens when you go keto and you start eating mostly fat, your body's not retaining as much water, so you will expel that water along with minerals from your body, and so you need to replenish those so people experience what's called the keto flu because they're not supplementing with electrolytes. And, and unfortunately, people think electrolytes is Gatorade and Powerade. Let's change that perception <laughs> you know, with, uh, with something like real salt, not table salt, but real salt. Um, and then also, you know, possibly with supplementation of magnesium or potassium if you need it. But if you're eating, you know, a lot of plant-based foods that are nutrient-dense and non-starchy like vegetables, you, you, you probably won't need those supplements. But um, if you do experience the keto flu, look into supplementing with electrolytes. And then all, the other thing is water. Um, you know, like I said, you're, you're, losing, you're not retaining as much water. So people think it's amazing because they lose all this water weight at first and it doesn't continue like that. So uh, staying hydrated plus the electrolytes are the two key essential things in the first, I would say, two weeks uh, is really, really important. There's a bunch of other things like tracking your macros and, um, uh, you know, as well. Uh, but I would say those would be the first three things to start out with. Excellent. Um, where, I mean, aside from Amazon, we can go to fit to fat to fit. Where can we find you and benefit from you. I want you to talk about some of the programs you have because there's so many free ways to get information from you. And then you've got some, how can we work with you? How can we benefit from you? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of simple to get started. Fit to fat to fit.com with the number two in between is my website. And that'll kind of lead you and guide you to everything that I have to offer. All my social media handles are at fit to fat to fit. My first book which is a New York Times bestseller is Fit to Fat to Fit, just with the same branding. Um, and then my keto program, which I launched over two years ago, which has over 300,000 downloads, which is a 60-day keto ebook. It's a, just a small little PDF. It's not the same as my complete keto book. It's a little 60-day uh, program. Uh, it's been downloaded over 300,000 times. Is at keto.fittofattofit.com. And then if you want um, in a, you know, giveaways and prizes with my new book, Complete Keto, which launches tomorrow, just go to completeketo.fit2fat2fit.com for all of it. So, but if you just go to fit 2 fit if that's all you remember, then you'll find it. <laughs> right. And, and and all else fails on that, Drew Manning. There you go. Just yeah, search, no. just do a search. Um, well, listen, the book launches tomorrow. Everybody go out and get a copy. Uh, Drew is just one of our favorite people in this space. And also you can see him at the FitCon Summit in Salt Lake City. He'll also be at the Metabolic Health Summit, or actually just was, sorry. Um, <laughs> that, that was already over. Um, and what else? Um, maybe Paleo FX this year? Are you going to that event? 
Um, I don't know yet. I'm still trying to plan out the, the book launch is kind of has taken over my life. And so, uh, I don't know. I literally don't know where I'm going next month. I have so much stuff going on, but I will let you know if I am at paleo effects, just follow me on social media. I, I, I like to think I'm entertaining. So you guys can be the judge of that though. Absolutely. And we will <laughs> put all of the links in the show notes to connect with Drew and his website and social media, and also the new book complete keto, uh, on Amazon. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our audience with? Just remember, you know, if you could learn to love yourself on your journey where you're at now, um, instead of waiting till one day when you get the body you want to love yourself, you'll be so much happier and fulfilled in this life. So my goal is to help people learn how to love themselves now while they're working on the, a, a better version of themselves is, is, is my hope. And letting people know that they're worth it to continue to fight, not just for their physical health to be skinny, but for physical health to be an optimal human being. And that's all I would like to say. <laughs> Great words of wisdom. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm. And the key ingredient in this formula is called phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout, but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function, maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day. This stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage. So I like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.